Hello and welcome to Big Ideas Into Action. This is WRI's podcast, Relaunched. I'm Nicholas Walton. And in this episode, the big idea is restoration in a small country. We'll be taking you to Rwanda to meet the farmers, the entrepreneur and the woman educating the country's schoolchildren about the importance of nature. When I go to school, I say what I'm saying to you right now. <laughs> I mean, I tell them the facts. It's not something that really occurs in people's uh, conversation like this. Also, how the regional director of WRI Africa learned to love trees thanks to her mother. She loved trees, she loved nature, she loved the soil. And I got to appreciate just how important all of those were. So this week, the big idea is restoration. Restoring degraded landscapes, growing trees, repairing soils and harnessing nature as a solution to development challenges. How do these ideas translate into action? Well, earlier this year, before the Covid crisis swept the world, I was lucky enough to visit Rwanda with my colleague Elvis Leonga. We were there to see how restoration projects looked on the ground in different situations. Later on, I have a couple of interviews to put them into a broader developmental context. But first, a visit that I made to the north of Rwanda where an entrepreneur had spotted a challenge and come up with a solution that helped the landscape and incomes, as well as the bottom line. In a field in a valley in the beautiful northern hills of Rwanda, a team of women are busy working the land, breaking up lumps of soil so they can plant one of their staple crops, cassava. Once the cassava has grown to a bush, its leaves can be harvested and sold in the local market. The trouble, though, is that they don't last long. If you don't sell them, you soon have to throw them out. And that means that a lot of this back-breaking effort can go to waste. But just beyond this field, there's a factory, and in that factory, one man thinks he has the answer. Shekina Enterprise is a food processing company our main product is uh, dried cassava leaves. Before there was uh, no market of their crops. Now they got market uh, in Shekina Enterprise. This is Pierre Damien Mbatazimana, the director of Shekina Foods. Uh, we work with uh, around uh, 2,000 uh, women farmers in the rural area. And uh, those farmers are grouped in five cooperatives. And those cooperatives, they are managed by uh, 100 girls. Pierre Damien and Batazimana then took part in WRI's Land Accelerator, where African entrepreneurs whose businesses restore land work closely with experts in sustainable business. They present their ideas to investors, hoping to attract finance. For these pioneers, this journey is about more than growing trees to combat erosion or making a quick profit. They're building livelihoods and bringing jobs and food security to rural landscapes. We are injecting around 50,000 US dollars every year in the community. So what difference does this make to the women who are employed in the fields with a new use for their cassava leaves and also in this factory? At the farmer's level, before there was uh, no market of their crops, now they go to market uh, in Shekina Enterprise. They sell their, their crop in Shekina Enterprise. They get money for buying their needs at home, paying the school fees for their children, and uh, also pay the, the health insurance. Back outside, this message was echoed by the women working in the field. 
One of them, Manira Fasha Madeleine, told me about the impact it's had on her livelihood. Before we had to throw away loads of cassava leaves if we couldn't sell them straight away. Now that we know we can sell them to the factory, we've been able to plant more bushes and that's made more money for us. We use the money to buy food and clothes for our children, pay the school fee and even buy some animals. That was Mani Rafasha Madeline, one of the farmers benefiting from WRI Land Accelerator candidate Shakina Enterprises. Next, we went out towards Rwanda's border with the Democratic Republic of Congo to see how WRI's partners are helping an entire village in the valley in which they live. Thanks to funding provided by WRI partner One Tree Planted, over 40,000 new trees dot local farms. This report is from my colleague Elvis. Is this the village that we're coming to that you can see in front of us? Is that the village over there? Yeah, the village is Kabisasa village. Deep in the hills of western Rwanda, we arrived in Kabisasa village, nestled in a beautiful valley with Jacqueline Ntuku Mazina. She works with one of WRI's partners, Akos, and was showing us how restoration works in a rural community. It is a, area, it is a mountain, mountain area, and uh, the government and the partners, they are promoting the terraces. What the farmers are doing on those terraces, it is damaged uh, by erosion if there is no trees. The first people we met were Dativa Wimana and her husband Donat Sabimana. As farmers, they face a host of challenges, eroding hillsides, low income, and a need for expensive fertilizer and gathering firewood in the local Makuru forest. The restoration project has changed all that with ACOS and WRI also providing finance and expertise. Uh Now they stopped even to use the mineral fertilizers because the the, 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 the manure from Uh the pigs This wasn't just about planting trees to stop soil erosion. The new trees provided firewood close to home. New plants gave dativa and donath better crops from mangoes to beans. They were able to buy a peak which gave them manure to improve soils, increasing hills. They sold peaklets and that money in turn went towards more saplings and seedlings. This is also about resilience, with the plants and tree helping to retain moisture in the soil and protect against future climatic events like droughts. The restoration project also led to an improved water supply in the valley, helping with irrigation and providing better, healthier drinking water for Kabisasa's people. As the villagers' lives have improved, so they have made restoration a central part of Kabisasa's life, including for children who help with the planting and learn about restoration. Kabisasa is now a more prosperous and resilient place, evidence that restoration is about livelihoods and well-being rather than just planting trees.
Elvis Leonga on what we learned during our visit to the village of Kabisasa. The other person we spoke to on our visit to Rwanda was Uwase Hirwa Onorin. She's the founder of Rwanda's youth restoration movement and AFR 100 youth ambassador. It's important because uh, it's a way of life. That's what I always say. Because without the land, where would we live? How would we uh, live actually? So restoring the land, um, secure uh, who we are, you know, secure uh, our living, secure uh, the food we eat, everything. At what age did you start to think that this was a big issue for Rwanda? I started thinking about it in 2017, and by that time I was something like 19 years old. Yeah. <laughs> what was it that made you realize this? What made me realize this is that um, actually one of the facts about Rwanda is that most of our population they are farmers, and when you look at their uh, living standard, it's really poor, and most of them live actually um, under the poverty line. And realizing that actually um, their practices are not um, as good huh, as it must be for them to produce uh, a good yield, uh, I was like, maybe there must be something wrong. So that's how I approach different people uh, to get inspired or to, on what, I mean, the people that have actually been working in the agriculture sector to get inspired on what might be uh, really wrong. And you have a particular emphasis on young people getting absolutely, involved in this. Absolutely. Tell us about this. You go to a school and what do you say? When I go to a school, I say what I'm saying to you right now. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I tell them the facts. Yeah. When we talk about climate change and environmental degradation, it's not something that really occurs in people's uh, conversation like this. It's something that you only hear people uh, discussing about only in conferences and meetings. And, and But really, if we go out, we'll probably be speaking about entertainment, good food, good destinations, and all those kind, kind of things. But we uh, tend to forget that the good food, the good destination, everything we enjoy in this life depends on the environment that surrounds us. Without the environment, it's going to be a desert, let us say. Yeah, with all the trees and everything, it's going to be a desert. And are we really going to enjoy that? When you touch the emotions, you touch people's mindset, yeah? I make them feel the fear of losing what we have right now, of actually not maintaining what we have right now, of actually not making it better uh, what we have right now. And what is the response that you get from young people when you say this? They act. <laughs> yeah, young people act. They get inspired and you see their energy, you see, actually they're the one who makes a follow-up. They're like, okay, so you told us about this, then what should we do? And then from there I'm like, okay, so let's do this. Yeah, let's do it. What would Rwanda be like without trees? Rwanda without trees, oh my God, it would be hell. First of all, our economy, our economy depends on agriculture. Secondly, we have a mountainous country, yeah, a hilly country really. So without trees really covering the soil and everything, imagine that erosion. Yeah, even our house would be taken away. Um, yeah. What's your biggest hope, five, 10, 15 years in the future from your work? My hope is that uh, Rana is going to be uh, a better nation that actually inspires other nations to act. And that was AFR 100 Youth Ambassador Uwase Hua Onorin. AFR 100 is a pan-African movement committed to bringing 100 million hectares of land into restoration by 2030, two million of those in Rwanda.
You're listening to Ideas Into Action, the relaunched podcast from the World Resources Institute. So you've seen the different faces of restoration on the ground in Rwanda, but what's the bigger picture? In a few minutes, you'll hear from WI Africa's regional director, Wanjira Matai. But first, Bernadette Araquia, who works as WRI's liaison in Rwanda. She was interviewed by my colleague, Will Anderson, from the restoration team. I see restoration as an integrated approach to rebuild or revitalize life on the land. So it shouldn't be one only aspect like providing, let's say, fuel wood or making habitat for biodiversity or just other ecosystem services. I see this as an integrated approach that can deliver multiple benefits for the human and the earth. Why do you think East Africa and the other countries that you're working in in West Africa as well can benefit from restoration. What's the what's the reason why they're embarking on this journey right now? I mean, some of the known facts include that these are the parts where land is really degraded and there is a high population density that depends on the land. So if we want to feed the population current and future and be able to you know, derive all the ecosystem services from the land and the nature, we need to restore it to be able to provide benefits to its full potential. So restoration will really play a role in ensuring food security and ensuring human well-being uh, for now and for the future. Why do you think that it's such a priority for the country of Rwanda? Well, like you just said, uh, Rwanda is increasingly known for its strive to implement science-based policy, and the restoration sector was not left behind. Action has been taken to strengthen various institutions involved in forest and landscape restoration in the country, be it through availing budget or resources needed to implement restoration activities, and also to listen to various stakeholders to hear their views and opinions opinions before making a decision. Uh, And Rwanda has also been very innovative around restoration. One listens to the science and gets all the knowledge and facts, but before implementation, one must consider the reality on the ground. And along those lines, I want to give an example that I'm really proud of, that Rwanda has made an effort in championing forest management unit approach to restoration. This is where farmers that own adjacent land are grouped into cooperative, and they receive training on restoration. They receive quality tree seedlings, as well as uh, any other relevant support for a successful restoration project. So the idea is also to connect those cooperative to viable investors that can buy wood products when they mature. This approach ensures that land that is restored and forests are well kept and sustainably harvested and farmers also get economic benefits from their participation in this forest uh, management approach. So the local people who are the landowners or forest owners are fully involved in these restoration activities which contribute to sustainability of this restoration movement. So these are like some of the great idea innovative approach that Rwanda has taken to make sure that the restoration movement has a long-lasting impact. What does a restored landscape look like in Rwanda? What are we going from and what are we going to? 
You know, there are different examples. Uh, we are, for instance, going from a family land that was not able to provide enough yield, you know, to feed the family or even like save some to sell to the market so that they can make uh, some uh, benefits from what they grow. We are going from that situation to people now having, you know, positive testimony that, you know, now we can grow enough food, now we can have enough and even excess that we take to the market and then we can uh, sell something and pay school fees for our kids. So we are going from like a place of, let's say, desperation to like some hope. And that is one part of it. We also see places where biodiversity had lost their habitat. You know, I can give an example of Gishwati that was really degraded. And then when you visit it, you can see some natural regeneration happening. I know we just spent a a long time talking about what's actually going on on the ground in Rwanda. And I'm curious to know how in the last couple of months with the COVID-19 crisis and the associated economic crisis and health crisis, how is Rwanda and Rwanda's restoration movement kind of adapting to that? Has there been some, some problems? Is it still moving forward? You know, uh, Rwanda was also hit hard, like many other countries around the world. But uh, Rwanda also took some important measures to keep its people, you know, as safe while exploring alternative ways of living with the pandemic. Uh, My personal observation is that in general, many activities uh, related to agriculture, where the restoration sector mostly focuses on, did not really stop to some extent. You know, people still had to eat during the pandemic. So safety measures were taken uh, to minimize COVID exposure and contamination. Along those lines, the restoration activities did not really stop. Farmers had to keep working the land and protecting it from erosion and degradation and uh, restoring the land to improve the yield. So tree planting activities uh, also continued in various places. What had to stop are those activities uh, that were involving long distance travels or uh, large gathering like community trainings, but things that are also slowly resuming as uh, more safety measures are put in place. Um, So I can say it's uh, generally a message of hope, restoration has continued in Rwanda and is still ongoing despite the pandemic. Bernadette Araquia, and now the Pan-Africa picture from Wanjira Matai, the regional director of WI Africa. You know, one of the things that is always present to me is the fact that restoration, at least the ecosystems, forests and, and rivers and grasslands, I've always been taught that those are what sustains life as we know it. And so the balance and the integrity of those ecosystems is is very much a function of our responsibility and, and how much we take from them. And that if we disrupt, if we destroy those ecosystems, then we in many ways are destroying ourselves at a very fundamental level. I like to think of restoration within that context. It also gives me a sense of how urgent it is that we not mess around and destroy our life support system. So in my mind, restoration is about protecting and restoring the platform of our very survival. 
what struck me when we went to Kabisasa, this small village in uh, in the western end of, of Rwanda, not far from the border with the Democratic Republic of Congo, was just how interconnected everything was. And if you if you dealt with restoration, if you dealt with cultivating and planting trees and plants of various types, it had such incredible knock on effects for everything from the overall ecology to the economics of the of the farms that these people in the village were operating in how does wri see restoration fitting in with all of these other elements it's much in the same way that you've described these landscapes rural landscapes particularly have a very beautiful connection it's a tapestry that weaves the forests and especially often mountainous forests are often the sources of rivers and those rivers go into the underground reservoirs and they charge our aquifers and charge rivers and those rivers are the source of water that sustains all life on the planet as we know it and so it's so important to remember those connections because agriculture especially on the continent depends upon rainfall to feed it and so if we destroy our forests and we destroy for what many communities believe is the source of rain then of course there will be no rain to feed the agriculture and that affects food systems i always grew up knowing that there were trees that were considered important for the water table these were trees like the fig tree that grew so big and nobody cut them down because it was understood that their roots went deep into the underground and so when rain fell and the water would go down the trunk of these trees, it would go and charge underground water reservoirs. And so it's a really beautiful understanding of just the interconnectedness of all things nature. We've been dealing around the whole world with the uh, COVID crisis and the fallout for that. Could you just tell us a little bit about how that's presenting itself to, to you where you live in Nairobi, but also in some of the work that you're doing with WRI Africa? What, what's the impact? How's it changing things? Well, COVID, I'll say, first of all, from, a pers- from the perspective of biodiversity, it has just cemented in all our minds how important it is for us to maintain integrity in our ecosystems. Zoonotic diseases like COVID are hopping into the, the human population because of our encroachment. And so, again, how important it is that we restore and we ensure that those barriers between that biodiversity and human beings is maintained, that if we continue to interfere with ecosystems and biodiversity, some of those crossovers can be dangerous. And we've seen that with COVID. Well, COVID has changed everything uh, on the African continent. It's changed definitely the way we understand our own vulnerability and our health systems and our ability to support ourselves in times like this. And so the the issue of food and food security is very much on people's minds and, and on government's minds. How do we ensure that when supply chains are disrupted like they were with the COVID-19 lockdowns, that we do not have a situation where people starve to death, that we actually are prepared for shocks like this. This is what COVID has taught us. It's a shock like many we will likely face and climate change is no different. We will face shocks around all our systems and for Africa and definitely for WRI, what we are thinking about is what does this experience tell us about how we build resilience and how we build protections against future shocks? And that we're calling the great reset. How do we reset in smarter ways? How do we reset 
in a way that doesn't take us down the pathways that have brought us into this problem in the first place? These are very critical questions, and this is a window of opportunity like none other for us to curate our future in a way that is more responsible with now the, the information that we have. And it's easy to see how restoration lies at the centre of all of that, the fact that it is so regenerative. Absolutely, because when you consider the benefits that come out of restoration, or at least what we are calling in totality nature-based solutions, it's a big win. We have the opportunity to create significant amount of jobs. The African continent is a very young continent. Africa is going to have the youngest population in the world. And we have got to deliver economic opportunities and hope for this generation. Because if we don't do that, they will be a lost generation and they are up to 70% of the population in many countries. We have a median age on the African continent today of 19 years old. We've got to deliver jobs to those. We've got to ensure that there's basic services are functioning. And certainly with what COVID has taught us, that we have safety nets for them and for everyone. But delivering opportunities for young people is one of the greatest opportunities I see in restoration. Creating a restoration generation, much like was the case in the U.S. in the 30s during the the Great Depression. We saw the Civilian Conservation Corps come up, and that was the beginnings of some of the most beautiful national parks in the United States. It came from engaging a lost generation in the restoration of nature. It can be done, and it's a really important opportunity. Wanjira Matai. And if you're interested in learning more, head to WRI.org where you can find out more about the work of both WRI Africa and our forest programme. Finally, we end these Big Ideas into Action podcasts with a quick minute from one of my WRI colleagues explaining what it is that gets them motivated about their work. This week, I thought I'd stay with Wanjira, who learned about the importance of trees and nature from a very early age. All my life, I was surrounded by things in nature. My mother was an environmentalist. Although she was a scientist by training, the environment was very much a part of her core, much from her childhood. She loved trees. She loved nature. She loved the soil. And I got to appreciate just how important all of those were. Once we understand the connection to our own life, then we start to appreciate. And so she very much infected me with that appreciation, with the love for nature. And then, of course, the work of the Greenbelt Movement. And in many ways, the work that we do for WRI and WRI Africa is a culmination of all of that. It combines environment development. I couldn't be more appreciative of the opportunity to lead this work on the continent because I really believe in it. And even better, I know it works. Well, that's it from this second episode of WRI's relaunched podcast, Big Ideas Into Action, with me, Nicholas Walton. Track us down wherever you download your podcasts and give us a rating. That's it for now. Goodbye.